Hey folks, Adam McDaniel here welcoming you back to Apex Mind. This podcast has a mission to cut through all of the proprietary systems and gatekeeping that the learning and development industry is known for. I've worked in this industry for more than 13 years in a variety of roles, and I've noticed that far too many learning professionals are just speaking in a silo to themselves. Today, everybody has to be good at training and learning to succeed. Our world is moving too fast, and there is too much technological advancement that we all have to keep up with, that we all have to be constantly learning and helping others to learn as well. It's my goal to help you to get better at those skills. In other words, I want you to get better at making other people better. In today's episode, we're going to talk about how to get better at virtual training. This is one I'm very excited about. Most of us know that a vast majority of virtual training is honestly quite terrible. It's not engaging. We don't tend to learn or get better at what we're supposed to be getting better at. It just doesn't seem to be going anywhere. I've been training virtually for about 10 years, and over that time, I've learned a lot of tricks and tips in order to be more effective, get more engagement, and get the results that we want from the training. If you've ever led a virtual session and you've had trouble with being effective, getting the results you want, engaging your learners, or anything else, the tips in this episode will help you to get more raving fans and to see better results. Before we get into that, something that is a new technology that I noticed that could relate to this, there's this technology called Remote Bridge. Now, granted, I've never used this. I just read about it and saw some demos. But Remote Bridge is a virtual environment, let's say. It's a hosted virtual team building software, essentially. Um, We've probably heard a lot about the metaverse I wouldn't necessarily classify this as metaverse necessarily, but it is a virtual world. This software, Remote Bridge, allows virtual teams to conduct games, scavenger hunts. I mean, heck, they even offer a virtual dance party if you're so inclined. And if you're like me and your real life dance skills aren't that great, maybe your virtual avatar dancing in Remote Bridge would be more flattering for you. The idea here is that we we all know that sometimes these virtual team builders or virtual events or virtual trainings, um, especially when you're onboarding to a new company or you haven't met these people um, face to face yet, it can be kind of challenging to really engage with people for it to not fall flat. You've probably all been in that all day virtual session that just drags on and on and on. Technologies like Remote Bridge, they can be used for holiday parties, for team building, for onboarding. Think about it kind of like uh, if you've ever played a game like The Sims or Second Life, any kind of virtual world type thing. You, you go into this world, you have an avatar, you can go to a virtual meeting with your coworkers, or there can be onboarding portions. I mean, heck, for companies that want to use this regularly, they even offer them their own private virtual islands. It's very interesting that technologies like this are out there. I imagine with the introduction of the metaverse and really virtual worlds growing and being becoming more universal across companies, these types of tools in the future will be used a lot more, possibly paired with other technologies like VR to give people in a virtual space 
a little bit more of a connection and a little bit more unique of a way to interact. But that, that's more for the future, even though technologies like Remote Bridge are around today. Like I said, I, I don't have any experience in the area. Um, I have reached out to them to try to demo it so I can check it out. And I really don't even know if I would personally enjoy that. I, I don't have a lot of experience playing games or, or being in virtual environments like that. Maybe I'm of the older generation where the, this metaverse and these virtual spaces, I haven't quite grasped onto them yet. But I do see a lot of potential value for those for virtual engagement, virtual training, tons of things like that. Now, even though I don't have a lot of experience with Remote Bridge, I do have a lot of experience with virtual training. And this is both as a participant in tons and tons of virtual training sessions, as well as leading very uh, many of them. I, I've led individual training sessions virtually, longer multi-week onboarding sessions. I've certified trainers virtually. I've observed trainers virtually. I mean, anything that that can be done virtually in the training space, I've done it. And I've done it in a variety of platforms as well. Virtual training has been sped up because of COVID. Um, I've been doing it for about 10 years, and I expect it to continue to ramp up and become a, a very popular delivery platform in the future because of its flexibility, because of the low cost, because of the fact that it can reduce travel times and get information to people right away. The challenges, though, that a lot of people face are that virtual training can just be boring. It may not be effective if people aren't engaged with it or don't have some of the tactile or other learning experiences that they would have in more of a face-to-face -face situation. One thing I can tell you is if you follow the tips in this episode, they will help you to see better results and have more people that want to come to your trainings the next time. So let's jump in. Our first tip is to set yourself up and your learners up for success before the session begins. And let, let's dive in what that means. So setting yourself up for success and setting your learners up for success. There's multiple ways you can do that. First of all, confirming access. So making sure people can access the platform, um, making sure people can access the training or where the training is housed, and making sure people can access the content or any resources that would be needed as well. The last thing you want is to spend the first five to 10 minutes or more of your session troubleshooting access issues or walking through those things that could have been done ahead of time in the invite or in a communication that's sent out ahead of time. Next thing you want to do ahead of time is to set expectations of what to bring, what to have ready, what to have access to. Folks may want to have access to certain references, um, certain resources. You may want to give them some links or something to just make sure that they can get to. So once again, you're not wasting that time. And also for those people that enjoy doing this, they might want to review that ahead of time as well. Get a leg up and, and familiarize themselves ahead of time with it. Something I like to do, you can't do this in every situation. I think it also benefits you to give your participants in your training pre-work or something they can review and access ahead of time. It can either be something more in-depth, like some questions they answer, or something that they review. These could be things like the highlights or the basics of what you're about to cover. The advantage of doing this is you can allow them to formulate their questions. It'll stimulate better discussion with them having 
reviewed some of the basics ahead of time and thought about it. You can also take advantage of that live time with them being with the facilitator because that's really what we should be doing on discussions, activities, practice. It really shouldn't be spent, or at least as minimal as possible, it should be spent on things like lecture or covering information. People can generally do that stuff on their own unless it's highly technical information that has to be covered by a person. So why don't you have them do that on their own and then take advantage of that that time you have together for something that's a little bit more hands-on and a little bit more applicable. When it comes to prepping, um, there's lots of platforms you can use. I've used Zoom, I've used WebEx, Adobe Connect, BlueJeans, Google Meet, GoToTraining, Microsoft Teams. I'm not gonna rank them or compare them in this episode. It might be something we do down the road. But what I would suggest is just choose the platform that's gonna have your, your folks that will be able to access it and just ensure it has the features that you want. We'll go over some, some features that can increase engagement and application throughout the rest of this episode. To my knowledge, most all of these platforms offer that in one way, shape, or form. But sometimes these platforms have different versions. You might have like the free version and the premium version. The features can be different between the two of those. The other thing to be aware of is participant limits. Depending on how large of a session you're offering, if you're having over 100 people or a larger group than that, sometimes some of those platforms or at least the free versions of them may limit how many people you can have at once. That is our first tip on number two. So the next one is to be a good host for your learners. So just like if you're hosting people in person, whether it's in a training or let's say you're having people over your house, being a host helps people to feel comfortable, to know where to go and what to do, so to speak. And some things that you can do to be a good host, there's the obvious thing of making sure you have a stable internet connection. If you're leading a virtual session and your bandwidth is low and you start having delay or your audio is breaking up, your video is not working well, those kind of things are going to create a bad experience for your learners. Another thing to do right when folks join is to introduce platform functionality. And what I mean by that is uh, don't assume that folks know how to use Zoom or WebEx or whatever your platform is. Show them where things are, whether there's like a status change icon, how they interact with you, where their mute and camera buttons are, if you're having your participants be on camera, how they get to the chat box, if there's resources, whatever functions you are using, it's a good idea to go over those at first just so that folks feel the lay of the land, so to speak, and they're comfortable with things. As you're presenting, just be aware of your environment. Really, whenever you're presenting, you really should be on camera, unless there's some sort of cultural thing at your business or something that prevents that. But it's a lot more human if you are on camera. So just be aware of your environment, the room, um, your background noise, your actual background, the lighting, things of that nature. We'll get more into visuals later in this. But just be aware of that if, if you have a noisy background, and by noisy, I mean there's a lot of things going on. It could be distracting. A lot of those platforms have something to where you can either like set a virtual background or you can kind of blur your background to, to block that stuff out. Something else that helps when folks are joining, there's usually a few minute period between 
when your first people join and when you officially begin, it could be up to five minutes or maybe even more. Give them something to do during that time. I like playing music. If you can, it creates a fun atmosphere. Play something upbeat that people will enjoy. And then you can give them something to do, either an icebreaker, getting to know people or something that's fun or not related to the training that they can answer in the chat box or engage with each other on. Or at minimum, have them start getting like their systems ready, accessing resources, just start preparing so you're not wasting that time later. The last thing that a good host should do is to build in breaks. Depending on how long your training is, and and I really, under most circumstances, think a virtual training should be no more than 90 minutes. But we know sometimes we have to do more than that. I've done virtual trainings that are days long or weeks long, depending on what the context of that training was. But if you are doing a longer training, just like we said in our previous episode about breaking up learning Ideally, most people can only learn for about 20 or 30 minutes at a time and three to five topics at a time. If your training is longer than that, which most probably are, break up that longer training into chunks of 20 to 30 minutes or three to five topics. You can break that up with little mini breaks in there. You don't have to like send people away or give them a lengthy period of time off. You can just give them a few moments to review what they learned, take some notes, do a quick brain break, maybe something fun, have them get up and stretch, especially for these virtual situations where we're all sitting in chairs all day. It's a good idea to stand up every so often. This is really, really important if you're training full days or maybe multi-day, you're doing a longer onboarding program for new people to the company. Just break up that training, give them time to do something self-guided and and really kind of going beyond that self-guided piece You can even chunk out that day. Let's say you have an eight-hour day that you're training in. You don't need to be actively presenting to them for eight straight hours. Um, I recently, about last year, I was doing a two-week-long training to bring new people into a role. And normally, prior prior to COVID, that had been a face-to-face training, and it was done virtually. And rather than you know me presenting to them for eight hours, we would break up the day and give them a certain period of time to review some topics on their own, go over some self-guided content, go through some resources, do some self-guided learning, and then we would come together. And the time that we were together, we would spend time on activities, discussion, Q&A, practice. And so you can break up that day so it's not eight hours of you presenting to them. Nobody's going to learn that way, and it's incredibly boring. All right, two down, our third tip for virtual training is to make sure your visuals are effective. And there's there's a couple of different sides to this. There's the visual of you presenting on camera, there's anything you share. So first off for camera, make sure you have good lighting. Um, lighting should be in front of you. That's why the, the ring light is a popular thing these days. Um, but just have some sort of light in front of you so they can see your face. If the light's just behind you, it looks like a witness protection video. I said before, be considering of your background. If you happen to be in a a messy room or something where there's a lot of stuff behind you, blur it or use a digital background that a lot of the platforms have. You can even do it to add something fun in um, or something branded to your company if the platform allows that. When using slides, PowerPoint, anything like that, first of all, don't overuse it. Um, This is very similar recommendation to any kind of slide presentation. Don't overuse the slides. Keep the information on them to a minimum. 
have just the key points there and any extra detail can be added in through questioning, through discussions. Um, nobody wants to read your slides. Try to keep each slide to three to five points, have those slides tell a story, and, and you're gonna fill in what's not there on the slide. If you're using video, just be cautious that bandwidth limitations um, and streaming buffering, those can be problems to that video. So generally, if you wanna get around those, if your platform allows it and you have like a file of the video, upload it to the platform so your users can actually download it. That's not always available in all situations. So if you can link to it, if it's on YouTube or another website and you can just give them the link and they can play it locally, it'll perform better than if you're playing it through the platform. Number four, keep your participants engaged. This is actually the one we're going to spend the most time on because I think this is what most people struggle on when I see them deliver virtual training. You generally want people to be engaging or doing something with the training other than just watching their screen every two minutes and, and really as frequently as possible. But I would say no more than every two minutes. If they're not engaging in that period of time, they're tuning somewhere else, they're looking at their email, they're clicking to another browser. Some platforms let you monitor that and they give you um, like screen status of, of the participants. I know Adobe Connect does that and a few of the others as well. But what I would say is make sure you're giving them something to stay engaged, not only just so they're paying attention, but also people tend to learn more when they're more engaged and they're doing something. Lots of ways you can do this. The first one is a chat box. Sometimes it's hard in a virtual environment to get people discussing verbally. Um, you can get one person at a time. Sometimes they might get uh, shy when you call on them. But a chat box, most people are pretty engaged with and comfortable with responding in that chat box. You can ask one question to all people and see multiple responses, which is really nice. Those folks that might be more shy or quiet that, that may not want to speak up verbally, they could feel more comfortable speaking up in that chat box. And also you can call out good responses. So you see something that you like, not only can you recognize that person for that good answer, you can also have other people learn from that good answer, get them to expand. And then also you can test those folks who maybe give answers that you, you weren't looking for or seem to be a little off base. You can shape them and coach them or get more clarity. Maybe they didn't really explain it properly in the chat box. Another thing that's different from a chat box is polls. Most of the most of the platforms allow polling. Polling not only you can get feedback on things is um, you know seeing what what people want to do on a break or um, which topics they want to spend more time on, but you can also use polls as a quiz and gauge the the thoughts of your audience. If you do use them as a quiz, you know your general rule is if a lot of people miss the quiz, then that means you probably didn't cover it well. If just a few people missed the quiz, well, it wasn't necessarily that you covered it well. Those people just may not understand, and you want to make sure they get understanding. You can also call on people individually. Various reasons to do this, either you know, ensuring that they're engaged. If you randomly call on people, your participants know that they could be called on at any given time. Um, when you're calling on people, you can either do it verbally or in chat. Depending on the audience size, if it's not too large of an audience, I generally like to get people verbally um, participating as well. If people are just participating by typing, they don't, they don't stay quite as engaged as if they speak up every once in a while. 
Um, there's some really cool tools you can use for this. There are randomizer tools, either on like web-based ones or ones you can load into your platform. They'll just randomly pick someone out of your participant list. Some platforms give you uh, status indicators. So they'll tell like if people are actively looking at the platform or looking elsewhere. And you can use that to either keep people engaged or um, depending on how your, your uh, session is going, you may want to uh, give flexibility to the participants and you don't want to call on that person that's not engaged. One recommendation if you call on people virtually, and this is true in person too, but it's, it's especially true virtually, call in their name before you ask the question. Um, just in case they are multitasking or maybe even they're, they're staying focused on the training, but they're doing the reading something and, and they're not necessarily paying attention to exactly what you said. It's just polite to give them a heads up that you're about to ask them a question. They won't feel called out and embarrassed. Any of those platforms, I mentioned status sharing. So if a platform allows for status sharing, um, either an active, inactive, a lot of them will have a thumbs up or an away. Um, sometimes some of the platforms even have more creative icons than that for statuses. Not only can you have them do that to tell you their status, so if they have to step away to the restroom, they can do an away icon, but you can also use it um, just to get feedback from your audience. When I used to do a lot of virtual training, I used the Adobe Connect platform at one point in my career, and there was a turtle icon and a rabbit icon. And the intention of those icons was the turtle was supposed to tell the trainer to slow down. And the rabbit was supposed to tell the trainer to speed up, but you could also have fun with it is, you know, Hey, if you like Apple iPhones, use the turtle. And if you like Android phones, use the rabbit. And so it's another way of getting engagement and it's just varying things up. So people are engaging in different ways and paying attention and you can have some fun with it as well, depending on which platform you're using. Whether it's built into your platform or you're doing it web-based, virtual whiteboards can be very good tools for everybody collaborating at once, um, maybe doing some kind of activity that would have been like a sticky note activity if done in person. You have some third-party options that are more advanced that might be paid services. I like the tool Miro um, because Miro offers more than just a whiteboard. You can do a lot of different interactive tools there. Lots of options for that, but that's a way to interact with multiple people participating at once, brainstorming, or, or doing some, some real good collaboration sessions. The last one here for um, engagement is breakout rooms. And breakout rooms are one of the more effective ones to do for application and hands-on. They can also be one of the more unwieldy tools to use, depending on if you have somebody helping you deliver and your participant size. So breakout rooms essentially get your virtual session into smaller sessions where those groups are, they can only hear each other, they can only talk to each other. Depending on the platform, they might have their own tools in that breakout room. Really awesome for brainstorming. You can use them for pairs practice. You can use them for hands-on activities, group activities, a ton of stuff. The one thing I would recommend if you're going down this road, make sure you prepare for it. Make sure you have those rooms prepped. You know who's going in what room. And then you have the instructions very clear. 
not only the instructions you give prior to breaking folks out in those individual rooms, but also instructions, if possible, should be within that room. Because once they break out, they, they're in there on their own. And you can typically jump between the rooms, but you can only be in one room at a time. So if you have, let's say, four or five breakout rooms and you're monitoring them, you're jumping between them and you're only in, in each one for a short period of time before you have to move on to the next one. So quite a few engagement tools there. And just to recap, since we had a lot, chat box, polling, calling on people, status sharing, virtual whiteboard, and breakout rooms. All right, our last tip here for virtual training is to follow up after the training. Follow-up post-training is incredibly important for multiple reasons. The first one would be to give folks references. Um, we mentioned in our top five gaps for training and how to address them episode that training is only effective if, if folks can execute on it after the training. And so if, if it's out of business, they should have the resources or documents that they would use in their role so that they're not referencing back to training unless the training is the reference. So they need that, that reference or that resource that they're going to use afterwards. And if it's outside of a business, maybe you're doing this on your own and you're training clients, send them something, whether it be your website or third-party websites or whatever the, the resource is, make sure they have something because when they go to execute on what you're training them on, they need something to help them to do that in that moment of need. The next thing would be follow-up comms. That probably goes with the references, but even on top of uh, giving them references, thanking folks for joining, welcoming back them back for another one, closing the loop on any action items or if there was follow-up questions that you got that you weren't able to answer at the time of, that's all important. And the last thing that can also go in the follow-up communication is just give feedback. You're not going to get better if you don't give feedback and there are lots of great tools, whether it be Google Forms, SurveyMonkey, tons of them out there, but have some sort of feedback form and make sure you're getting quantitative feedback as well as qualitative feedback, meaning not just what they liked or what they would like to know more of. Those are great things, but also just something that's measurable so you can look at one set session versus another session, have them rank something on a one to five scale how well they liked something, or there's lots of questions you can ask, but just make sure something's quantifiable so that you can measure one session versus the next. Well, that's it for this episode, folks. Let's recap the top five things that lead to effective virtual sessions. First, set yourself and your learners up for success before the session begins. The ways you can do that, confirm access, set expectations of what to have and bring, and then provide pre-learning. Second, be a good host for your learners. That means cover platform functionality, give your learners something to do when they join, and build in breaks. Third, use effective visuals. Make sure your camera, lighting, background, those all look good and don't overload your slides. Fourth, keep your participants engaged. We have chat boxes, polls, calling on people, Status sharing, whiteboards, and breakout rooms are some techniques to do that. And last, follow-up post-training. Send that communication, provide resources, and gain feedback. 
Remember, everybody, we have new episodes launch every Monday and Friday. If you want to connect and keep these conversations going, the social platforms I'm most active on are Twitter and LinkedIn. If you'd like to, feel free to connect with me on Twitter at ApexMindAdam and at LinkedIn at Adam-McDaniel. Those are both platforms I'm active on, and I'm posting things that we talk about on the show and engaging in conversations with other people I'm connected to. So if you're interested, come join me and let's, let's have conversations there as well. But thank you for listening today. I will ask you three favors. First, implement something you learned today. This is the most important thing I'm asking you about. Talk about it with somebody. Take some notes. Implement something you learned into what you do. Second, I'd appreciate it if you told two people about Apex Mind. We're trying to grow the show and recommend this podcast to some folks that you know would benefit from the content. Third, if you enjoyed what you heard today, consider giving us a five-star rating and a review on your podcast player of choice. Doing this will help us to reach more people, and we'd really appreciate it. All right, everybody, go and help someone to be better than they were yesterday. Thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you soon.